Great to be with you this morning. Looks like I put the Matthew slides up there, but <clears throat> it's the right slides, it's just the wrong background. We're actually not going to be in Matthew this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to talk about following and fishing. Following and fishing. But before we do, let's pray together. King Jesus, we just gather here this morning because we want to hear, we want to hear your voice. We want you to speak to us. We want you to minister to our souls. God, we need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, I ask that each of us might leave this morning having heard a clear word from you. Lord, not just a word out there to people in general, but a word to me, to us personally, individually. Your call, God, of what you would have us to do, to glorify your name, to make disciples for your glory and your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. And as you do, I want to ask this question. What is your mission in life? What is your mission in life? Have you ever thought about it? You should. Have you ever considered how important that question is? The idea of mission is the idea of purpose, right? It's the idea of goal, right? It answers the question, what am I supposed to be doing with the life that God has given me, right? What, what, there's hardly a more important question than you could ask, right? Because worst case scenario is one day you stand before the Lord and he asks you, well, what do you have to show for the life that I gave you? And you're going to say, what are you going to say? I'm trying to help you here, trying to help you. There's a lot of people, Jesus said, who will say, Lord, I did this and I did that. And he said, who are you? You don't want, you can, it's okay. We're, we're, we're fallen creatures. It's okay to get some things wrong, but you can't get this wrong. What do we exist for? What's our mission in life? You see, there are two deeply interrelated concepts in life, being and doing, okay? Being and doing. Christianity prioritizes being, actually. It prioritizes being because who you, what you do flows out of who you are. What you do matters little to God if it doesn't flow out of a heart of pure love for God and love for neighbor. Nevertheless, when we have sought God by his grace to be the kind of people he calls us to be, there still remains the question of, okay, now what am I supposed to do specifically? What's the mission God has called me to and entrusted to me? And I just want to say God hasn't left us in the dark about that question. All right? God, God it's, not, it's, not just, it's not just follow my heart. God has told us what he has called us to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So I want to suggest that the preeminent way that we live out who we are as Christians is by making disciples. Is by making disciples. If you spend your life making disciples, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. You'll be like the servant whose master came back from a long journey to call to account, and he said, here, master, you gave me five talents. I've made five more. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So I want to talk about this morning what it means to be a disciple, how to follow Jesus, and how to fish for Jesus, following and fishing. And we see this in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Word of God, you may be seated. So we're going to talk about two things this morning, how to follow Jesus and how to fish for Jesus, how to follow Jesus and how to fish for Jesus. I chose to take a break from Matthew leading up to Easter to reflect on what it means to follow Jesus. I've been talking for a few weeks now about discipleship groups that I desire to get started here and I believe can transform your life and our life corporately as a church, and I want to give you some more details about that. But more importantly, I want to give you a biblical basis and understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. So this, this, these discipleship groups that I'm going to talk about are not magical, but they are a simple and remarkable way, I believe, to intentionally be the people that Christ has called us to be, to experience the joy of following Jesus in our everyday life rather than slipping into the rut of our faith becoming just a one-hour add-on to our lives at the end of the week. Being a Christian means following Jesus. And that's, that's, more than a, you, that's something more than just a couple hours a week. It's a way of life. It's who you are. It's what you do. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And we can begin right here in our text in Mark where Jesus called Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now, Mark's account is pretty abbreviated, right? It's, it's brief. We know from other Gospels that most, almost certainly this is not the first time Jesus has met uh, Peter and Andrew, Simon and Andrew, okay? We know from the book of John that Andrew followed John the Baptist, and, and then John bore witness to Jesus, and then And then Andrew met Jesus, and then Andrew goes to his brother Simon, Peter, and says, Hey, I found the Messiah. And he brings him to Jesus. 
Okay? And so this account then seems to be the definitive call of Jesus to the brothers when they became his official disciples. Now remember, in New Testament times, discipleship wasn't new. It wasn't new. Most, most if not all Jewish rabbis or, or teachers had disciples, other men who would follow them, learn their teaching, imitate their, their ways and their practices, and su- succeed them in ministry by carrying forward their teaching. That was common practice. Discipleship was common. Okay, But what I want to highlight here is the rather radical and literal implications of this passage on what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ today. Okay, What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Some preachers in the past have said things like, some have said like, uh, being a disciple is kind of like being a next level Christian. You're a Christian, then you become a disciple. And some have said things uh, almost to the point where it's like that you could be a Christian without being a disciple. I just want to say, when I read the Bible, that seems obviously false to me. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're not a Christian. Christianity is following Jesus. There is no salvation apart from a life of discipleship. Following Jesus in all the biblical fullness of what that phrase actually means. When Jesus told these brothers to follow him, what did they do? What did they do? They literally stopped what they were doing, got up, and started walking after Jesus, right? They literally walked through the dust that Jesus was kicking up, okay? Following Jesus for uh, Simon or, or Peter and Andrew and James and John, following Jesus wasn't a metaphor, right? We use it like a metaphor. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Well, that's great. And there's some reality to that because Jesus isn't physically present here. But we should remember that for Uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, following Jesus wasn't a metaphor. When Jesus said, follow me, he literally meant, I'm about to start walking down this road and you're either going to stop what you're doing and walk after me or you're not. You recognize that, right? When he made that call to them, when when they were in the middle of their job fishing and he said, follow me and started walking away, immediately they had a a life-changing decision to make. You understand that? They either were going to stop what they're doing and start walking down the road after this teacher or just keep on doing what they were doing. They had a decision to make. Right? And, And so... That's, that, what, what, that's the call to discipleship. That's the call to discipleship. And, and, that's, and, and we can imagine then something of what it means to be a disciple, right? Only once in my life have I experienced something that approximated this, okay? In 2016, as part of uh, the internship that I, I did in Auburn, Alabama, um, and, and where I did my uh, master's degree and things like that, part of that program was we spent... Uh, one, one of those summers in overseas missions, okay? We worked with overseas missionaries in uh, Madagascar, okay? And so Meg, Finn, Hudson, we only had two at the time, and I went to Madagascar. <laughs> it was like 
uh, about 20 hours of flight, okay? Went to Madagascar, and we lived there for six weeks. And Meg and I were housed near a university. Now, don't think anything like university here, but we lived near a university, okay? And there was, at the time, at the time there, there were some Australian missionaries who were leading an English-speaking Bible study uh, among the students who were interested who could speak some level of English, okay? And I went to that Bible study, and I connected with two young men who spoke fairly decent English. And, uh, and then over that time there, we spent a, a pretty decent amount of time with those two young men, okay? Now, over there, you know, the average person, I mean, if you owned a car, you would be basically filthy rich over there, okay? For the average person, okay, the, you're, you, the, you're, you only had one mode of transportation. One, two. That's it. That was your only mode of transportation. You wanted to get somewhere, you better start walking. Okay? Only, if you had a little bit of money, you might could, you might could ride a poos-poos, which was just a little like rickshaw bicycle thing. But most people didn't even have money to spare for that. Okay? And, and each ride on a poos-poos was probably like 50 cents, by the way. So what I discovered there when I was with these young two men, two young men, is that when all you can do to get somewhere is to walk, life slows down. Imagine you didn't have a car. How different would your life be? Guess what? When you, when all, the only way you have to get somewhere is your own two feet, guess what? All of a sudden, you have a lot of time on your hands. You ever thought about that? Sometimes we ignore the most simplest things. Jesus and his disciples, all they had were their own two feet. And guess what? Jesus had a lot of time. Hey, look at that over there. Hey, look at the flowers of this field. Hey, look at the birds in the air. He had a lot of time to talk. To, to do what? To literally walk down the road with these men. Talk about this. Look at that. Examine that. He had time. He spent time with these people to, with these young men to do what? So that slowly over time as they lived life together, as they experienced, as they had shared experiences together, they, Jesus began to interpret these experiences through his wisdom, through the word of God, so that slowly his disciples began to see the world as Jesus saw it. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. For Simon, Andrew, James, and John, this was discipleship. It was living life together. It was walking the streets together. It was sharing experience together and then discussing those experiences in light of God's word and in light of the truth so that they could understand what was really happening. It was having real, deep, honest conversation with one another about the things in life that really matter. You know how easy it is to go through life and never have an honest conversation with another human being about the most important things in life? It doesn't happen unless we make them happen. That's what discipleship is. It means following Jesus. It means forsaking other things, even good things like fishing, that 
that fight to keep you from the things that really matter. You know, the, the people of ancient times really weren't that different from us, right? They were just like us. The Jesus's call to discipleship, okay, wasn't any more radical then as it is now. It's just as radical to us as it was, it was just as radical to them as it was to us, right? The call to follow Jesus is what? To deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Denying yourself is hard for everybody. People 2,000 years ago, people today. It's hard for everybody. The call to follow Jesus is radical no matter what time you live in. Take up, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. It's a call. Discipleship is a call to walk through the dust clouds that Jesus kicks up. It's a call to slow down. Slow down and experience life with Jesus. It's a call to listen to his voice as he explains and comments on what's going on in the world and in your life and in the lives of others. It's asking Jesus questions and it's waiting to hear his answers. It's walking close enough with Jesus so that you begin to see the world through his eyes. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it meant for Simon and Andrew and James and John. And that's what it means for us. And you say, well, Pastor, Jesus isn't here. So how can we do what they did? Well, this is how. How can we hear Jesus' voice today? Number one, where is Jesus today? Number one, Jesus speaks through his word. Jesus speaks through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? You want to hear Jesus' voice? Open this book and listen. Listen. No, no, no. I didn't just say read the words on the page. I said listen. Listen. The difference... You see, the difference between this book and any other book is that Jesus, God, the Bible says the word of God is living and active. So we'll say, so we say, well, I wish I was Simon and Andrew and James and John because they got to walk with Jesus and hear Jesus' voice. Well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Jesus said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this book is alive. If you read this book and think about it and say, Jesus, you have a word for me that directly relates to my life situation. I have a situation in my life, Jesus, that I can't understand. Can you explain it to me? And you read this word and you listen to Jesus' voice. You will not just be reading words off a page. You will hear the voice of God. He will speak to you in your heart and you will know that it is him. Adrian Rogers said he heard the voice of God. So my, 
Somebody said, was it audible? And Adrian said, no, it was louder. You know when God is speaking, but you have to stop and listen. We go to a thousand other things to tell us what's going on in the world or how to deal with our situations, and you can talk to Jesus Christ. It's breathed out by God. How do we follow Jesus? How do we hear his voice? We get in the word. And number two, so number one, Jesus speaks to his word. Number three, Jesus, number two, Jesus is in his people. Jesus is in his people. Galatians 2.20, Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Matthew 18, 20, in the context of church discipline, Jesus told the church, he says, he said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now think about that. Now it's easy to take that verse out of context. The context of that verse is actually church discipline. But Jesus is saying that where two or three are gathered, even in the context of church discipline, judicially, to render a judgment on an on a unrepentant brother, Jesus is saying that their judgment, he says what? Where, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In other words, Jesus' authority is with his people. His people. Jesus is with his people. You want to walk with Jesus today? Walk with his people. Walk with his people. There's no such thing as solo Christianity. It doesn't exist because Jesus is with his people. If you want to walk with Jesus, you have to walk with Jesus' people. Where they are, there I am. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You want to you walk, walk with Jesus and you want to hear Jesus' voice? This is what you do. You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? This is what you do. You walk closely with his people in light of the word of God. When you walk with other Christians in close relationship in light of the word of God, guess what? You hear Jesus' voice. Somebody will say something in an offhanded comment and you, your heart will be stricken and you'll know that God was speaking to you. Why? Because God speaks to his word and God speaks to his people because God is in his word and in his people. Following Jesus, being a disciple in any meaningful sense today demands at bare minimum that we are active members of a local church and that we are building and nurturing intimate personal relationships with other believers where we're having conversations about the most important things in life. And I say that and I mean that and it's so important. And why do I say that? Because even for people who 
come to church every time the doors are open, you can still walk in and walk out and not actually be having real conversations with people who really know what's going on in your life and really talking about the most important things. Happens every week. Imagine that you were on the shores of Galilee and Jesus Christ walks by and looks at you and says, follow me. What are you going to do? You have to make a decision. To make no decision is to make a decision. You're either going to stop what you're doing and run after him, or you're going to do nothing. This is the call of discipleship. How are you going to respond? Imagine the, both the fear and the thrill of being Simon and Andrew in that boat. And Jesus said, follow them, follow me. And they, I imagine they looked at each other and started running after Jesus. What else are they going to do? Where else are they going to go? There is nothing so thrilling as following Jesus. So number one, how to follow Jesus. Number two, how to fish for Jesus. How to fish for Jesus. We see an example of fishing right here in this story, right? Because Jesus is the preeminent fisher of men, and he is fishing for men among fishermen. And what's remarkable about this is that uh, in Jesus' day, I feel quite certain that fishermen weren't weren't on the top of the list of these men rabbis were running after to call to be their disciples. And yet that's where Jesus went fishing. And Jesus tells the brothers, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And Mark there, the, the word become is, is quite striking. It implies that there is a transformation that is going to take place in their hearts from becoming fishers of fish to fishers of men. In other words, that it would be a process. It wouldn't be automatic Time and events would have to unfold before the full transformation in their lives takes place from being fishers of fish to fishers of men. The life of discipleship is a process, right? It's a process. When you hear and heed Jesus' call to follow him, you don't gain automatic victory over every sin and struggle. You don't have to be part of a church long to recognize that. But what we... But, nevertheless, the call of discipleship is what? It is a slow and steady march in the same direction. Away from sin, away from self, to Jesus Christ. It's a slow and steady march to a life of freedom, to being used by Jesus for his purposes in the world. 
of having your life reoriented and your plans, your purposes, your missions for your life reoriented around Christ and his kingdom so that you can have full confidence when you stand before Christ at the last day. You will not have wasted it. And one of those great purposes that Christ has for his people is to make us become fishers of men. We learn how to fish for men by watching Jesus. The disciples watched Jesus, and that's how they learned. They watched what Jesus did, and then Jesus sent them out to do what he did. So how do we become fishers of men? Well, the first thing I think we learned from Jesus, and that I think is important, and I think just needs to be said, is that Jesus himself lived with a clear sense of identity and purpose. In other words, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. I'm I'm serious when I ask this question. Do you know who you are? Who are you? How would you answer that question? That is one of the most basic questions in life, but how many people can honestly answer that question? Who am I? Who are you? Jesus, how can you, how can you lead people to become something else if you don't even know who you are? Jesus knew who he was. That's why people flocked to him, because he didn't waffle on who he was. His character, his speech, his personality, his teaching. People knew who he was and what he stood for. Now, they couldn't quite put their thumb on it. They couldn't quite put words on it, but they knew that he was something. And Jesus knew who he was. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, this is so important that we must become, we must become comfortable with who we are in Jesus Christ. We must own our faith in Jesus Christ. We must not be ashamed to follow Jesus. And I say that because there's a lot of pressure today. And I fear that a lot of people are going to bow to that pressure. Because they're not sure sure who they are. We must get comfortable with who we are in Christ in spite of the increasing hostility of the world to our faith. We must own our faith. We must be comfortable in our Christian skin. We're not not arrogant. We're not jerks. But we know who God is. We know what we've spoken. And we, in a holy and humble and courageous and convicted manner, say, this is what God has said. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. about sex and sexuality, about gender and gender identity, and a thousand other issues that are going to face us today, we have to say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. This is who I am. People must know how, how people, people don't follow other people who don't stand for anything. We must stand for something. You must know what you believe 
and you must be firm and convicted to, be, to honor Christ with your life. You have to own your identity as a fisher of men. Why? Because that's who you are. I am a fisher of men. Say it with me. I am a fisher of men. Now say it like you mean it. I am a fisher of men. That's who you are. You're a fisher of men. You belong to Jesus Christ. We have to learn who we are. Number two, the second thing we learned from Jesus is that, and this is mind-blowing, to catch fish, we must go fishing. Jesus, it's not super complicated. Jesus had had interactions with Simon and Andrew before. He'd, he'd interacted with them before. He'd met them before. They knew, they knew what he was, they knew, they had a general idea of what he was about. They knew he was a little different. But they knew that something was special about him. He wasn't like everybody else. You know, all the time Jesus taught, it says that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Why? Because he spoke as one who had authority. Why? He knew what he, he knew who he was and what he stood for and what was true. And so Jesus had had interaction with them. We Undoubtedly, we know that Jesus prayed, almost certainly prayed specifically individually for them. And then he comes up and he says, follow me. And then Simon and Andrew and James and John have a decision to make. Either they're going to follow and they're going to not. And guess what? Jesus told people to follow him that did not follow him. Right? Was Jesus a failure? No. Jesus wasn't a failure. Guess what? If you invite people to follow Jesus who don't follow Jesus, guess what? You're just like Jesus. Jesus is in control of the catch, but you have to cast. They had a choice to make. You know, so often we don't reach out in Jesus' name for fear of being rejected, but that's strange because I've never known a single fisherman who stopped fishing because they cast the reel one time and didn't pull a fish in. In fact, I know a lot of fishermen who you can hardly pull them away from the pond because they think, if I just cast one more time, I'm going to get one. <laughs> what if we had the attitude, man, if I just talk to one more person, they're going to get saved? I mean, think about it. How many times do you cast, a, cast a, a, a hook in the water and pull in a fish? Not many compared to the ones where you actually do, right? I mean, you did tons of times you cast and almost never catch anything. Well, guess what? It's fishing. That's what fishing is. You don't get mad at fishing. You just keep fishing because that's what fishing is. What does it mean? It means this. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Enjoy the thrill that if this time they're in a bite, who knows, maybe the next time. 
And if you have to fish all day with hundreds of casts and no bite, guess what? When you feel that tug, that first tug on that hook, you forget about them other hundred times you casted. You done forgot. Why? Because it doesn't matter. What is a thousand no's if you get one yes for Jesus? So how can we wed these two things together? How can we follow and fish for Jesus together? There are many ways we can do this. But sometimes it's, just, it help, it's helpful to just have a simple plan to make sure that we're following and fishing the best we can. And so what I want to give today and what I've been talking about over the past few weeks is just, is just that. It's just a simple plan to follow and fish for Jesus. And it's very simple. It's, we, we're just going to call it discipleship groups. D groups for short. That's it. It's one letter. You can't mess it up. D groups. And while it's, and of course it's more than a group. It's a way of life, but it's so simple. It's so simple that you think, my goodness, I can do that. Here it is. It's very simple. Each group has a leader. You don't want to be a leader? That's fine. You don't have to be a leader yet. <laughs> but each group has a leader, and that leader prays. And that leader prays, and that, and that leader believes God, that God's going to lead them to specific individuals to ask them to be in their group. And God's going to do that. And those leaders are going to go to those person, people, and ask them specifically, I prayed, and I feel like God is leading me to ask you to be in my group. And you can say no, but I want to know if you'll join my discipleship group. And then that person has a flashback to standing on the Sea of Galilee. Okay, that's a little dramatic, but, um, <laughs> but they have a decision to make, right? And I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you don't join a discipleship group, but I'm just saying, why not? You have one thing to do in life. Think about it like this. If, if it's true that making disciples is one of the priorities that Jesus gave his church, and you say, well, I don't have time to meet with another group of people for an hour and a half of a week. Well, let me ask you a question. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we push out other things to make time for the most important thing? If making disciples is, in fact, according to the Bible, one of the priorities that Christ has given his church, shouldn't it be that we're pushing out other things to make time to make disciples rather than pushing out disciple-making to make time for other things? So if we're doing too much, even as a church, that people don't have time to make disciples, then we need to stop those things so that we have time to do the one thing that's going to matter. And that is making disciples for Jesus Christ, right? And so it's so simple, right? Each member, the group agrees 
that they're going to read one chapter of the Bible a day for five days a week, five chapters a day, probably not even 15 minutes a day. But that's, that's your agreement. That's your covenant. Okay? And each week you meet and, and you, you share what the Lord spoke to you that week. And you go through and you share some of the things that the Lord spoke to you that week from your Bible reading. Why? Because God, Jesus, inhabits his word. And we have a very simple method that helps you ask questions of that chapter that you read each day so that each day you can write down one or two sentences of, of, of how you sought to hear Jesus' voice from that passage of Scripture that day. It's so simple. It's so easy. And what's the goal? The goal is to do what? To train us to become as a matter of habit to do what? To listen to Jesus' voice. And guess what? When you start doing this five days a week, read a chapter a day, and then think about that passage and meditate on it and pray about it and ask questions of it and say, Jesus, what's one thing that you want to say to me from this passage? And you just pause and you listen to Jesus' voice. Guess what? Jesus is going to speak to you. And when you start hearing Jesus' voice, you're just going to want to hear it more and more. Okay? And then do what? And then you get to meet together with other believers and say, guess what God told me this week? Guess what he told me this week? It's amazing. And then as a group... You're going to discuss one portion of those five chapters. It's already laid out for you. There's already questions made up for you. You don't have to think about it. Nobody has to teach a lesson. You're just having a conversation. Don't have to be a teacher. Okay? You don't, you don't have, it's not complicated. Anybody can do it. You just have a conversation about the most important things in life, about the Word of God. Each week, somebody has a responsibility to read, the, read the, the passage, to lead in prayer, to, to restate the passage in their own word, and to lead the discussion. That's it. It's very simple. It's so simple. And there's one more thing, and this is the best part. Each week, your group meets together. The last thing you do, the last thing you do is you work on your plan to do one tangible act of good for another person. And you make a plan to do something, at least one thing, every two months. So six times a year. Okay. So each week you meet together, you make a plan. So the first week you meet together, you may say, does anybody in my group know of a need that we can meet? It's not, it's not Pastor Chad, it's not Cottondale Baptist Church. It's you following Jesus Christ. It's you and a few godly other people who are your friends saying, there's a need, and it's not them out there. I'm not going to say somebody really needs to deal with that. I'm going to say maybe God has put me and these three people right here at this moment, right now, to meet that need for Jesus Christ. And once every two months, you're going to plan, and you're going to do something in Jesus' name. And if we have... Four groups that start in this church in one year, that's 24 intentional acts of kindness in the name of Jesus in this community. And you're going to tell me that when people start following Jesus and intentional acts of kindness are being done in this community, God's not going to do anything? You out of your mind. 
people's worlds are going to be starting to turn upside down because God is on the move through his people. It's so simple. It's not complicated. It's walking in the dust that Jesus kicks up. It's so simple. It's following Jesus. I'm with, I know I've gone long. I'm going to tell a story. I've been, I'm, and I'm done. Um, the man who created this program uh, shared this story. A group of ladies was meeting together in, a, in one of their homes. And by the way, a hugely important part of this group is that the group's not static. It's not me and three and then we're done. You're always looking for people to invite into your group. Your group gets too big, great. Voila, we have two groups all of a sudden, bam. It's okay. Your group is not static. You're praying and seeking and inviting people to do what? You're fishing. Your, your discipleship group is your net. And every week you're thinking about going fishing. Okay? And so these group of ladies were meeting together in this home. And the lady who lived there had a neighbor. And of course they're praying and they're fishing And this lady says, you know what? I'm going to invite my neighbor to see if she'd be interested in joining our group. Do you know that there are people, they might not come to church, but if you say, hey, me and a few friends, we're just reading the Bible and discussing, we're having a biscuit at Burger King, would you like to join us? They'll say, sure, why not? Why not? She invited this lady, and the lady said, you know what? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. I don't have a Bible. I have to go buy one. She didn't even own a Bible. But she was interested in learning more about Jesus. So she went and bought a Bible and started attending this group. Uh, Five or six weeks into the group, I think it was, she starts realizing, hey, something is going on in this group. And I'm not not part of it. And I I need something that these women have. And right there in her home, they lead this woman to Jesus. And as soon as she follows Christ, and they lead her, you know, they lead her through prayer, and she commits to follow Jesus, she says, my daughter is home right now, back across the street. If I bring her here, will you tell her what you just told me? And she go gets her daughter, and her daughter gets saved too. Why? <laughs> because if you just go fishing, Jesus will make sure you catch some fish. Right? You just 